Welcome to the Total Car Score Podcast, bringing you the world of cars from inside the car. And now your hosts, Carl Brower, Lauren Fix, and Javier Mota. Well, welcome back to another episode with uh, Lauren Fix and Carl Brower. And this week, uh, we were fooled. Everybody was full in the world, in the, in the automotive industry and the rest of the world, I guess, right? Carl, how are you? Yeah. Um, as I was telling people, the only thing worse than a bad April Fool's joke is a non-April Fool's joke that you think is a bad April Fool's joke. Um, so when you, make, <laughs> when you make a big executive decision and people are going, yeah, that's an April Fool's joke, right? And you have to say no, that's a bad sign. And uh, of course, now they're almost acting like, oh, yeah, it was. It was just a marketing stunt. We're totally backing away from this decision. So it's actually the worst possible of all things. They they did it. It seemed stupid. They claimed it was real. Don't act like this is a joke. Now they're backing away, but they still aren't going to say, I don't know. It- okay. Maybe Lauren, did, did you fall for it? And maybe you want to explain it because we are talking about of the aftermath, but sure. we haven't said what it was. Okay. So Volkswagen, we all know the people's car, uh, which was put together around World War II. And I'm not uh, the best on history on this, but I know that our upcoming guest is but they decided they wanted to rename the their car company because they're going all AV to from Volkswagen to Volkswagen, V-O-L-T-S-W-A-G-E-N. Well, at first I thought, this is this is crazy. And I we were texting amongst ourselves and friends saying, this is stupid. Why would you wreck the brand name after all this investment? Well, it's just so funny before we got on today to record – I was talking to someone and they said, I knew it was a joke. And I said, how did you know it was a joke? They said, because they didn't register the name, nor do they have the web address. I went, ha ha. I was pretty smart to check that. Yeah, crazy world that we live in. And I have to confess, like in the Hispanic world, April Fool's Day is December 28th. So I never fall for the April 1st. But then this came on uh, March 28th. So I was completely confused about the whole thing. (laughs) Well, it just, it just... It's like, I don't know, you have to be a little more creative in your um, April Fool's stuff. You know, I, I think anyone who tries to pull anything, ha ha ha, within like 48 hours of April 1st and think that they're going to come off as creative and smart and no, no, this one's going to be the good April Fool's. <laughs> it's like, no, it just looks like a stupid April Fool's joke. So, you know, you know, it'd be funny to do April Fool's nothing have everything actually serious come out and make nothing up and see how the april fools we did 10 things and you were wondering which was the april fools here the fool they were all real well i did an april fools joke once and worked out yeah the only thing that i have to say Uh, is that everybody including us is talking about it so i guess it worked in that sense good or bad i mean stupid or not i think it was kind of stupid and i saw a post on a twitter that uh, apparently their local agency in sweden or norway used it like a few years ago so it was not completely new either yeah i don't know it's like farfic nugan i guess right <laughs> I know. See, that wasn't an April Fool's. That one they could have introduced back in the day on April 1st, and everyone would have assumed it was an April Fool's, but it wasn't. By the way, right. can you, That's either fun. of you, educate me? Why is uh, April 1st, uh, April Fool's Day? 
Do you know, Lauren? Don't know off the top of my head. Uh, I have no. I again, this is someone our upcoming guests would know all of this stuff. Yeah, uh, I know it's it relates to um, religion. I believe uh, it relates to like everything else. Pag- yeah, right. It relates to pagans, and I think it was like a holiday for a lot of the pagans, quote unquote. And so the Christians, when they knew the pagans were making a big deal out of April 1st, said, well, they're the, those are the fools who make a big deal wow. out of April 1st because they think it's a, a holy I have, day. I have the official on internet version of it. Uh, apparently, it goes back to 1582 when France switched from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar as called for the Council of Trent in 1563. People who were slow to get the news or failed to recognize at the start of a new year had moved to January 1st and continued to celebrate it during the last week of March through April 1st became the butt of jokes and hoaxes. And I guess it became kind of a practical joke thing in April 1st, 1700, when English pranksters began popularizing the annual tradition of April Fool's by playing practical jokes on each other. Okay, now that's not a Wikipedia version. That's just a website. <laughs> a little bit before the Volkswagen time. Anyway. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so back to the real news. All electric. I mean, so everything comes together. So Carl, there was the Kia EV6 reveal, the Mercedes EQS, the Lexus electrified LFZ. I mean, like everything is electric now. Like what? Anything like? really gets your attention now like every every week is something like that javier you're you just said we were getting away from the april fool's topic why are we still talking electric cars here what's going on (laughs) um sorry i don't know exactly i'm with you there (laughs) yeah it's certainly become uh the thing of uh the hot topic within the u.s and global auto industry is you know who's going to be the coolest ev company who can make the coolest most audacious the most brash EV commitment to being carbon neutral as soon as possible. Sorry. Um, so that's kind but of. But we're the, losing the money doing it. That's the only problem. Yeah, yeah really. That's that's what they should add on, but they don't want to say that out loud. And while I'll doing all that while not going bankrupt. That's the, the part they don't say out loud. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, look, the price of batteries is keep is continuing to drop and the infrastructure is going to keep getting built. So and the battery ranges will keep getting longer and they'll have better technology to charge faster. So this stuff's all moving in the right direction. I keep joking about the fact that one of the key problems is the cost that you have to pay so much more. And everyone's like, well, when are EV prices going to come down to regular prices? And I feel like telling them the honest answer is they're never going to come down. But the rest of non-EV prices will, will as we've watched over the last five years especially, keep moving up. So eventually, non-EV cars will embrace EV pricing. EV pricing will never come down to regular cars. Um, and so that'll take that barrier away too. And I do think there are absolutely circumstances where EVs make sense. I mean, I leased one of those goofy 500Es for three years at 49 bucks a month. And my wife drove it for over 24,000 miles in uh, three years. So we utilized a $49 a month pure electric vehicle in a very effective way for three years and 24,000 miles. So it's not like EVs don't make sense ever. They actually make a lot of sense in a lot of circumstances. My issue, as always, is the extremity that humans, you know, seem to 
always go through and all where it's like, oh, this is the thing. It's all this. This is. It's like, no, this is a new component and the technology will make it another element of our options. It will be one of the ways we can move around in yep. personal transportation. But to say that this is the future, it's all this. And anyone who burns gas after 2030 is an idiot. And we're going to make April Fool's jokes about them like we did the people who didn't uh, know the calendar changed. Ha ha ha. Those people yeah. are the fools who think that. So, Lauren, I know you're not a fan, and like, but you have driven some of them, and uh, I guess you saw yesterday's oh, yeah. the view of the EV6. To me, that that looks really cool, design-wise, and at, at least from the specs, apparently it can be more powerful than a Corvette. Like that's that's pretty good, I guess. But again, we just seen it and hear it. But what do you think? Well, I, I thought it actually looked pretty good. Um, I was pretty impressed with what Kia put together. Um, and the first thing that came to my mind is, wow, that's a nice looking car. I wonder if it's available in a hybrid engine. <laughs> because the thing is, <laughs> no. if I were designing for these brands and they're all EVs, in my head, I'd be thinking, if this blows up on us, pardon the pun, and we have to offer other options, can we use this body style, this platform to make it a hybrid, a plug-in hybrid, a mild hybrid, something? Because that may be an answer. You know, to be smart enough to plan that ahead. So that's kind of what was going through my mind. But I did like it. I thought it looked really good. I think the design looks like super cool. I mean, and, and it's a real car. I mean, they show the car while with Lexus, they show more or less like renderings and, and things that that car looks good too, but it doesn't seem to be that Who knows real. what it'll look it, like. No, I, I really like the styling of both the the Ionic Five from Hyundai and the EV6 from Kia. They they it's funny because I'm sure they're using a certain amount of foundational similarities, but and they have kind of a similar overall profile, but they're very distinctive, and they've somehow managed to make two really cool looking, distinctively different looking vehicles off of that platform. Not that that should be surprising because uh, Hyundai and Kia have been doing really well on styling for years now. Um, but my favorite new purchasable car that you can actually go buy that runs on batteries is the Kia, sorry, is the Hyundai Kona. Uh, I also like the Kia Nero. I think that one's good too, but I really think the Hyundai Kona is like your best EV op option right now when you roll it all together. Price, range, styling, driving dynamics, functionality. Um, so those guys are already doing good EVs and now they're just making these cool looking versions of them in these next uh, iterations. So I'm pretty optimistic about Kia's EV and Hyundai's EV efforts going forward. So next week, we're going to see the GMC Homer, so more EVs. And we'll be back with that, with that and more in the next segment. Well, welcome back to another segment uh, of the Total Car Score podcast with Lauren Fix, Paul Bryan, and Carl Brower. So, Paul, thank you for joining us this week. And uh, Paul is also, as the three of us, a juror in the North American Car Utility Vehicle and Truck of the Year. Did I say it right? I think it's the, the reverse Close order. enough. Anyway. <laughs> How are you, Paul? I'm fine. I'm mildly offended, though. Uh, oh, why? Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. What do we do? Well, I, like that. I will admit to a certain eminence, Grease, 
However, in the first segment of the show, uh, I was first referred to as somebody who would know about the origins of Volkswagen, which was uh, during World War II, before my birth. No, because you read about it. And, and, you probably and, have and, read no, more Paul than knows, anybody else Paul in the show. a lot of useful and, information. And then, and then my video partner, Lauren Fix. L. Fix comes back with a second helping of coming along uh, with talking about the Council of Trent in 1582 when Pope, Pope Hilarius uh, decided that he wanted to drive the Lucretia Borgia 5000 GT and uh, everybody believed that it was a real car. <laughs> That's right. That, uh, that, I thought I had offended it, but it was Lauren. Okay, I feel better now. It's me. We're good friends. Paul's like the brother I always wanted. Well, it's it's great. So anyway, it's great to, uh, it's great uh, to join you. It's It's very nice to join you all. No, thank you, Paul, for your time. So as I was saying, we awarded the North American Truck and Utility Vehicle of the Year back in January. And now the other main organization, the World Car of the Year, uh, announced uh, this week their finalists. And it's a very interesting list because most of the cars are either not available in the U.S. at all or not yet. So, for example, the World Car of the Year is the Honda E, another EV, the Toyota Jaris that it's not offered in the U.S. with the specs that is is offered in Europe, and the Volkswagen ID. Four. So I guess I don't know, Paul. What do you think about those cars? Well, Again, I, I, haven't driven, I haven't driven two of them, so I, I really don't know. The ID. Four is uh, a real nice offering from Volkswagen as they uh, continue on their march toward. Uh, toward carbon neutrality or, or so they would have everyone believe. But it's, you know, it's hard to tell. You know, we compartmentalize our awards to North American product. And it's uh, good for the half moons that we sit on because the world car jurors are on planes even more than we normally are on planes, which is an awful lot. But, uh, you know, we... we We've got to rely on other people's reports on a lot of these cars. You know, I see them. They look cool. They're great. It's like the, the Kia that we just saw the first look at last night. Snappy looking car. Really good looking. But we really, you know, I, I, I can't in good conscience comment on a car that. Yeah, I know. That none I know. of us it's, it's hard. Let's go. Carl, do you want to explain a little bit? A little bit of why, uh, well, most of the models in the world are not offering the U.S. I mean, why are we getting shorthanded or like are we better off with what we have? Well, I think they look at the market here and they see, you know, something that's completely unique, um, which I'm grateful for, that the U.S. market is not like any other market. That's because, for instance, the big three, the three biggest sellers here are big full-size trucks that are not even available in most other world markets. And they certainly would never sell in the volume they sell here if they were. Uh, we have needs for longer distances because we've got a big open country that um, normally you're allowed to uh, travel through freely. Um, maybe not now, but you should be. And um, wow. so you need big, big cars with a lot of horsepower, a lot of flexibility and functionality. Um, and in other parts of the world, you need smaller cars with better fuel efficiency and horsepower is given second or third priority in those worlds. So they know wisely that if they brought a lot of the cars on other markets here, nobody would buy one. Um, and that was true 
20 years ago. Now, when you look at what's been selling the hottest in the last two or three years, and even especially the last year, since the world went a little sideways, uh, all the data I keep looking at through iccars.com says that trucks and SUVs, big trucks and big SUVs specifically, are more popular than ever before, which is another part of the irony on the rush to electric vehicles that uh, are going to seem somewhat counterintuitive to that to some extent. But um, yeah, you are can't you sell a lot of cars in this country successfully. Are you surprised yeah. by that, Earl? Uh, no, I'm not, actually. I think, you know, there are two things that a lot of Americans want when the world looks like it's going sideways. Uh, neither of them are popular with lots of contingencies out there. One is big cars or even better trucks. And the other one, as we all know, well, it rhymes with nuns. So uh, that's the other thing that people like to buy when things go a little sideways. So <laughs> those are the two popular things when the world's looking a little more uh, un undependable or uh, a little more upheaval going on. And uh, surprise, surprise or not, trucks are hugely popular right now, more so than ever. Yeah, and as uh, Lauren was saying... Uh, all these car companies have to make money. So in some of the other categories, for example, the Land Rover Defender is uh, up for world luxury car, the Mercedes-Benz S-Class, the Polestar 2, another electric one, Porsche 911 Turbo, which I think it's on every year, <laughs> some of the variants. Yeah. That's because they um, want to drive Porsches. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. And the Land Rover Defender is also up for design of the year, along with the Honda E and the Mazda MX-30, which is also electric, Lauren. So, I mean, what, do you, what trend do you see here? Well, the, just because you offer something doesn't mean people are going to buy it, right? So let's just take a step backward. Do you remember when BMW had their SAV, their sport activity vehicle that was all electric? It was like a hybrid kind of thing. Yeah. They couldn't sell them. The dealers couldn't, they couldn't give them away. They were offering $7,500 discounts. No one wanted it. Then they, they kept lowering. I think they only made like half a dozen of these things. They couldn't sell them to save their lives. Sort of like the Cadillac XLR. How many of those did they make? They mm. made it because they thought people wanted it. People don't want it. Right. They want pickup trucks because if you're out of a job and you've got any kind of skills, plumber, woodworking, whatever, you need a truck. And if I you know, there's an old rule. I should ask each of you. If you could have one vehicle for your entire life, you're, you're 16 years old, you get pick one car that you cannot. That's it. One car. Most people would pick a pickup truck because you can do a lot with it. What would you Everything. pick? Bro, yeah, pick? a pickup truck. I have neighbors here that, that have other cars, but their favorite car is a pickup truck, even though it, it's, it's sitting in their driveway for most of the time. But like they have it, they love it, and they, they pretty much don't spend too much money while having it and, and using it when they're when need to. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. You know, my solution to that is to, you know, have the Porsche in the garage, but be dating a woman who likes an F-150. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Paul's always thinking ahead. Well, well, very interesting. These awards are going to be announced April the 20th. And we're actually going to talk to someone from that organization when that happens. Because obviously this year we didn't have Geneva out of show where they announced the semi the finalists or the New York Auto Show, where they actually uh, announced the winner. So we'll see what happens with that. Hey, Javier. And then in the next segment, we're going to talk more extensively to Paul about auto racing, Formula One that just started. Maybe, I don't know, did you catch the NASCAR I race did. on there, Carl? Do you enjoy that? Do you actually interesting or, or not at all? I think NASCAR is one of the greatest sports in the world until about 1974. 
Oh, wait, I'm probably not supposed to say that out loud. So, so I guess you didn't watch. <laughs> when it was still the best driver and the best engineer won the race. Um, you know, it's not it really wasn't that cubic anymore. dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or, or, okay, you guys got to drive as fast as you can. Oh, whoa, 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 that's too fast. We got to slow that down. Wait, you're going a little too fast. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe we'll we'll we decided you. who the winner is. So don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll excuse you for the next uh, segment. So thank <laughs> you for your time. <laughs> We're back for the last segment of this week's show with uh, Lauren Fix, and we basically kick out Carl because he doesn't want to talk about auto racing. <laughs> and Paul has a lot of not only interest in the, in the sport, but also a lot of knowledge about it. So, Paul, the Formula One uh, season started again, again in a, where was it, Bahrain, I think? Yep. And, uh, very interesting. I think the at least for a little bit, there were hints of some power shift from, from Mercedes-Benz, right? Yeah, I, I guess you're right, Javier. I mean, there was uh, uh, a power shift that I think bodes well for the rest of the season when the Honda-powered Red Bull car uh, out-qualified the two Mercedes of, of Hamilton and Bottas. Uh, I think that it really woke up the people at Mercedes-Benz because they have been on a cruise here for a couple of years. It it used to be... A couple, like six. Yeah. Oh, God. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm such a confirmed Tifoso Ferrari fan in the series. It just goes back to my allegiance within the Fiat group. I, I worked for Alfa Romeo Racing for three years and lived in Milan doing that uh, so i i just fell in love with them i fell in love with ferraris as a young but uh so what's wrong with ferrari i mean they, they haven't done anything in a long time they Not can't much. they can't find their keister with both hands and uh and yeah and and it, there was a little moment there where it looked like leclerc was going to uh, to shine a little yeah. bit he, he qualified better than anybody thought that he was going to. Uh, so, you know, who knows? I don't think anybody was going to be looking for them to be fighting at the front of the pack. But just get in the hunt already, just so that you don't look like you're, you know, the wankers in the back that are moving chicanes. So uh, I, I think there was a real wake-up call for Mercedes because they didn't get out qualified by four hundreds or four thousands the way that sometimes you'll see a pole go off in four, in Formula One. They got out outraced in qualifying by four tenths of a second, which is eons. That's glacial timing yeah. in, in Formula One. So it's, So I always heard that in Formula One, if you put any of the other 19 drivers in Lewis Hamilton car, that driver will most likely win the race. Is that correct? Well, I mean, look at what happened last year. Hamilton got uh, diagnosed with COVID and he got replaced for a race. And were it not for a screw up, <coughs> pardon me, uh, uh, something that just happened that knocked him out of the front of the race, he would have won the damn thing. So, you know, Toto Wolff at Mercedes, their team principal, will deny it until he dies that uh, they booted that race in order to save Hamilton's reputation. And exactly the point that you're trying to make, 
I don't know that all 19 of them would, but I'll make you a bet that 10 of them could get into that car and do at least as well as Hamilton does. Lauren, do you, I mean, I know you're a race driver, but do you follow much Formula One? Do you watch or not? I love Formula One. In fact, I was at a brunch at my mother-in-law's house and I had my earpiece in the whole time. My son's got his phone (laughs) next to me because he's got the F1 app. My husband's on the other side. Go, you know, because we're all looking at we have three phones together, all trying to listen. And, and she got mad at us because she's like, "Are you here? Are you at the race? No, we're at the race. We're here because we have." Yeah. So it was. So we're very serious. I've been to a couple of F1 races. I know Paul's been to a lot more than I have. Uh, we've been to Melbourne, which was one of my favorites, which is typically wow. the start of the C- series. And now it's Bahrain. Of course, how much money did you say you had? We can make that work. Um, but my favorite driver, I'm a fan of Max Verstappen. He did a great job this weekend. He had the pull. He overcooked it in the well, turn four, I think it was. And he got in front of, uh, finally got in front Coming of him. And I thought he had it. Yeah, but then he, he blew it up. Yeah, but, but poor Botas. He was getting a short of the stick. He self imposed that problem. I know the stewards were going to penalize him. Yeah. But he went ahead and he backed up and he let Hamilton take that corner back. And I wouldn't have let him do that. I, I would have let Hamilton sue in his juice that that he got uh, that he got passed decisively on the track with a great racing move. Now, granted, he exceeded. Yeah, it was. He, he exceeded the track limits, which is what the official designation is. Uh, but but nevertheless, I, I I would have waited for the stewards to say, "Okay, back up and give him back the position." Just, just to make right. just they barely had time for that. Yeah, but yeah, very interesting. And obviously, um, all the car manufacturers that are involved in Formula One, um, Ferrari, Ferrari is a luxury brand. But now we have Honda back at, at very decent showing. Yeah, but it's their last. We year. have uh, Alfa Romeo Aston is involved Martin. too. Aston Martin. So obviously, all these technologies that are developed for Formula One, eventually, some of them at least, will make it uh, back to production cars, right, Lauren? Yeah, I mean that's part of uh, what this is all about. It's funny because Paul and I were at a Alfa Romeo uh, Stelvio uh, drive event. Paul and I have been riding together for years, and, and we do a his turn, her turn uh, show on my Car Coach Reports channel, and uh, and we sat down with somebody. Maybe it was on a radio show or something, and Paul asked. Right out, he said, so when is Alfa Romeo going F1? And they just looked at him like ghosts. Like, how did you know? But he knew. So go ahead and you can tell the rest of the story, Paul. It was great. Well, Alfa Romeo won the first world championship, right? Back yeah, in the 50s, 1950, right, Paul? Yeah, well, those were the days of Juan Manuel Fangio and, and Tazio Nuvolari and guys like that. And uh, when, when I worked at Alfa, the... Alpha Museum was right across the courtyard from my office. So when, wow. they, when they would have big financial meetings, and, and my Italian is pretty good, but boy, when they start getting into millions of lira and stuff like that and talking, and my, my head started spinning. So I was excused from those meetings because I looked like a blithering idiot trying to say what any of the numbers. And, uh, and I would go over and visit with my friend, Dr. Scandolata, who was the curator of the Alpha Museum. And and I just, to not only be familiar with their history, but to be able to sit in those cars and to be able to, to feel the history that's there. Alfa Romeo had to go racing. It, 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 was, it was 
frankly, how I joined the company in 1989. Uh, Alpha was bringing in the uh, 164 into the United States, and in order for them to have their credibility as a car company here, they felt that they really had to have a racing component. Well, the top people in Torino at Fiat Group said, well, we don't want to have brands competing against each other. So here's the solution. Ferrari, you stay in Formula One. Alfa Romeo, you go to IndyCar. Lancia, you stay in World Rally. Uh, and, and then uh, the W. So they divided them up. Uh, yeah, they, they bro- broke them out that way. And, and that's how the whole IndyCar program, which uh, I can sum up in four words, quite frankly. Horrible. Okay. Horrible car. Great lunch. So, <laughs> <laughs> I bet the food was but, fabulous. Is that how you learned how to cook? Paul Paul's a world-renowned chef. So, but oh, is that how you learned how to cook? Uh, at least right. some tips, I guess. Well, when when we would when yeah. we would be testing the car out at the Fiat test uh, complex, it, it's kind of in between Milan and and Torino in a town called Bolocco. And at Bolocco, it's it's kind of like when we go to the Chrysler test grounds now, or to, to Ford, or any of them. Uh, there are different configurations that you can set up for the test track. And so everybody had their own thing. You know, Ferrari's got their own thing at, at uh, Fiorano, of course. But, but nevertheless, if you were to put all of the tracks together for the Fiat Group test area there at Bolocco, the track would be about 16 miles long. So it's, it's a big Wow. Track. So uh, in the center of that, was this centuries-old farmhouse that this is still in the Johnny and Yelly days when the only time you got yelled at was when you didn't spend enough money. Uh, they, had, <laughs> they had converted that farmhouse into this fabulous meeting center and kitchen and, and client entertainment and everything. So, you know, frankly, I don't know jack squat about what makes them go. You know, I know that this could be the right guy to go in the car and this is how we're going to handle it and coordinate with marketing and, and all of the different different groups. But while they were out testing the car, well, hell, I hung out, I hung out with the chefs in, in, in the uh, I would too. In the banquet. Yeah, that's really good. good and, and I got but anyway, I got a three year yeah. tutorial on how to cook northern Italian. It was fabulous. Not bad, not bad at all. So anyway, I mean, all the out of all the racing that all these companies do is like a great marketing tool for them still. And uh, again, I mentioned NASCAR before here back in the U.S. and they went back fifty years into history to go back to dirt. I don't know. Did you watch any of that, Paul? Oh, of course, because you know that that's kind of like the the gladiator roots of NASCAR. You know, everybody would say that no, NASCAR goes back to racing on the sand at Daytona. Not really. If you think about Curtis Turner and all of the rum runners, the, the whiskey runners that were running in the South. So running on the dirt has a lot of history within NASCAR. So they took Bristol Motor Speedway and they, they paved over the asphalt with dirt. And they said, we're going to, we're going to, now every kid, understand folks that the car that you see on Sunday is not the car. Every NASCAR team has maybe five, six, seven different configurations, different cars completely uh, of what you see. It may look like the same one, but there's a short oval car. There's a one mile oval yeah. car. There's a super speedway car. There's a road course car. And there's a, a car for 
if Ash Wednesday falls. I mean, Jesus, they got everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, they're off that somehow uh, doesn't surprise Easter. <laughs> yeah. So, so they, they did a race on dirt at Bristol. And it was crazy. It was very fun. You know, I, I wouldn't want to make a steady diet of it, but uh, as a confection in the middle of the season, yeah, it was great fun. I loved it. Yeah, why not? So did you did you watch any of that, Lauren? Do you enjoy NASCAR a little bit or not too I, much? I, I, I'll watch some NASCAR. I prefer road racing where we go left and right. So when NASCAR is at a road course, I'm watching, especially well, the Glen, which is my home track. They're going to Circuit of the Americas this year. That's going to be fun, I think. That's going to be really, be really interesting. Yeah. Well, I think they may be surprised. Yeah, I think they will be. And it's going to be interesting to take a look at the uh, the lap time differences between the two, which I think you'll be able to gap with a sundial. With a Formula <laughs> One and NASCAR, you mean? Yeah. You know, oh, my yeah. God. Like night and day. You know, it's, it's, day. it's kind of like uh, the first time that NASCAR came to Indianapolis. There, there's a rhythm to Indianapolis, and, and anyone who says that there isn't as much of an inner game as to motor racing as there is to chess, you know, the, the people who just don't understand the sport, and it's understandable because they've got so many stick and ball sports here in the States. They say, yeah. oh, hell, I don't want to watch that. And they just go around and around, and, you know, what's, what's the point? There's every bit as much an inner chess game to any form of motorsport as there is to watching Boris Spassky and, and Bobby, what's his name, uh, playing chess. Yeah. And, and, uh, Kasparov. Yeah. Okay. Gary Kasparov. And, uh, and, and I think that that's a shame because the car companies really do put a lot of money in, into their motor racing programs. I mean, heck, you, you could make a pretty strong argument that the entire marketing campaign for Ferrari is their Formula One team. Oh, of course. I mean, you know, that that's it. You you don't see ads in magazines or on TV or anything like that for Ferrari. Why? Well, A, they're going to sell out every swinging car that they, they build, and they don't need to take out ads. But B, that's their heritage. That's who they are. And and that's why, frankly, Binotto has to go. Binotto, <laughs> so, Binotto, the team principal, ought to be running Binotto's bodacious Bucatini Bistro somewhere in Maranello. So very <laughs> short, Paul, because uh, we're really running out of time, but it's really interesting listening to you. The NASCAR always says that they have the best drivers in the world. Do you agree or not, mm -hmm. compared to Formula One? I, I would say that they have the best drivers for that kind of racing. And I would say the same thing of any series. I, you know, we've seen isolated cases of people switching series and doing quite well. Uh, you're, you're going to see a NASCAR driver at Indianapolis this year. That's happened before, but you know, take a look at, at some of the guys who have made switches from formula one into IndyCar, Emerson Fittipaldi, Nigel Mansell, uh, Alonzo, Nelson Piquet. Yeah. Alonzo came Alonso, and, yeah. and he was bitching when he showed up then too. That guy, he's got more wine than Ernest and Julio Gallup. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, true, but you know what? I'm glad to see him back in, uh, F1. Yeah. I'm he's, just, he's just a personality. Yeah. And, and Where he belongs and we need more of that. I think all forms of motorsport need that. And, and probably NASCAR 
No, I'll take that back because I think IndyCar needs more personalities in it than it has right now. NASCAR still has. They they used to have them. Yeah. It's for a different crowd too, I guess. Yeah. Right? The personalities yeah. in NASCAR and the personalities Formula One or India, they're completely different. I mean, maybe that's why, for example, Montoya, who was a good personality for Formula One, was not for NASCAR. No. No, but he was very good. Right. He was, but he was very good in addressing the Hispanic market, bringing that market to the series. Absolutely. Well, I agree. Very I like interesting. And I'm glad that he's moving on. Yeah, moving to other series. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, he's going now to Europe. He's moving uh, from Miami to Monaco to have his son start his Formula One career. Hopefully, well, that's what he hopes. So wow. we'll see. Maybe that's we'll... going to be expensive. <laughs> well, he probably has good sponsors. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking he's not going to worry about I'm sure he's Friday, set. meeting Friday's yeah. payroll. Yeah, well, Paul, <laughs> thank you very much for your time. Lauren, uh, really nice talking to you again. And I guess we're going to see each other in a few weeks now in Arizona for our first press All trip of, of 2021. Ooh, and and Carl will be there. We'll let, him, we'll let him talk to us again then. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he, we had to put him in timeout. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Paul. Thank You're you, welcome. Lauren. Thank you for the invitation. And we'll talk to you next Thanks. week. Thank you for listening. For more, check us out online at totalcarscore.com.